0: In Christ alone. Hallelujah. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you just not only witnessed the fulfillment of Scripture, but you were part of it. You were part of it. I'll show you why I say that in just a moment. We're in the passage that Tony read a few minutes ago, Romans chapter 15 beginning in verse 14. It's a pretty sizable chunk of Scripture. And as we read through it, and as you sit and read through it, it's it's easy to kind of check out. Now, you may not be like me. Maybe you don't have that problem. But I'll tell you why I say that. We are coming near the end of the book of Romans. And as with any of... Paul's epistles, when you get near the end, he starts talking about things that sometimes, if we're not careful, could sound like a travelogue. He's talking about plans that he's going to do, he's, he's talking about, he even throws in a, a, a prayer request for travel mercies at the end, and, and it's easy to just kind of read over that. Uh, and I'll confess to you that this week, as I, and really for the past several weeks, I knew I was going to preach from this passage. I've, I've really struggled to find what's the theme of this. Because, and here's why I've struggled with it. In 1995 and 96, I was raising support to be a church planter. And this passage was the passage that I preached from over and over and over again. And so I had that message in my head, which is actually just a tiny portion of this passage. But the more I read it and prayed and prayed, I really believe that the key to this passage, uh, at least the message that I'm going to preach from this passage, is in verse 20. If you look at verse 20, he says, "...and thus I make it my ambition." To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul had an ambition. And so the, the title of the message this morning is Christian Ambition. Christian Ambition. Almost seems like a contradiction in terms. But hopefully I can... As we talk through this, help you to understand where I'm going with it. So, I was raised, as many of you were, in a hardworking family. My dad uh, worked from daylight till dark when the work was there. We were in, our family was in construction and drywall. And uh, you had to work where the work was there. And when it wasn't there, you were looking for work. And so, we just, I just grew up that way. I was taught to work hard, and I believe in that ethic to this day. But it, because of it, it's given me some blind spots throughout the years because I can go a little too far with it. Just to give you an example, uh, this, this past week, Kathy and I celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary on July 18th. So thank you. Well, 42 years ago, when we were married... It was in 1981, and if you are from here or if you know much about Knoxville history, something big was going to happen in 1982, the World's Fair. So in preparation for the World's Fair, there was a whole lot of construction going on on the interstates. We just decided to get married at the church that I was a member of at the time, Second United Methodist Church on Western Avenue in Knoxville. Some people call it the Red Cross Church. You can see it on the interstate. Worst place in town you could possibly get married uh, because the traffic was horrible. My family was an hour late for the wedding. (laughs) Well, we were married on a Saturday, and uh, we couldn't afford a honeymoon. I'll tell you how long this has been. My father-in-law gave us a $100 bill, and I took that $100 bill, and we went to Six Flags on Sunday. That was our honeymoon. Drove down to Six Flags, drove back that night. So Monday morning, I'm going back to work, and uh, at the time, I was working for my dad in drywall business, and uh, he had a job that we were doing in White Pine, and White Pine is about an hour away from West Knoxville where our apartment was, and again, like I said, we work daylight till dark. So if you think about what time it gets dark in July in East Tennessee, And I was an hour away from home, just been married three days, and my wife's parents had jobs at Oak Ridge where they went in at the same time every day, got home at the same time every day, dinner was at the same time every day. So when I showed up at 10 p.m. that night, (laughs) things didn't go so well. She said, my daddy always gets home at 5.30. I said, I ain't your daddy. (laughs) That didn't go well either. (laughs) I I was ambitious. But I was ambitious to a fault. And so when we think about the word ambition, you know, we can have a lot of connotations to it. Uh, You know, someone who has no ambition is... That's that's not that's a problem too. But what exactly does the word ambition mean? Well, the the English word ambition actually gets its root in Roman politics, believe it or not. Romans uh, politicians would go around to the people and try to urge them to vote for them. Sound familiar? And that process was called in Latin, ambidio. Which meant to go around. And over time, because the politicians wanted to have honor and uh, preeminence, it came to mean something a little uh, not so great. It meant to have a desire, a strong desire for honor and power. Now later it Also picked up some good connotations where it has to do with just being a hard worker or someone who is determined to do something. Paul uses that word, he uses a Greek word for that, of course. It's translated ambition in our ESV today. Let's read it again. Verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, this word that he used for ambition, this translated ambition, it's really a compound word in the Greek. The first part is phileo. You're familiar with phileo, right? That's brotherly love, brotherly love or affection. So he had an affection... And then the second word is "tme," which is something of value. It also can be dignity or honor. So what Paul is saying is he had a, an affection for something of great value. That was his ambition, his Christian ambition. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at this whole passage in light of Paul's ambition, and as big a passage as it is, I'm going to add to it, because we're going to back up a little bit, Paul's uh, ambition had begun with a vision, and so there's a vision of Christian ambition. For that, we need to look back up to verse 8. Verse 8, he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Now, remember what I said just to you just a few minutes ago. You witnessed Scripture actually being fulfilled and you were a participant in it. Did you see that? It was in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Isn't that what we just did? So the first thing that Paul has before him for his vision of his Christian ambition is the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, he became a servant. Jesus became a servant. And he became a servant for a purpose. It was a dual purpose. First of all, he became a servant to the circumcised, the Jewish people, in order to show God's truthfulness. God had made promises, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. And so he became a servant in order to show that God the Father is truthful. He also became a servant in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. He confirmed every promise. Jesus is the completion of all of God's promises. So that's what he did for the circumcised, but for the Gentiles, for you and I, most of us in this room, if not all of us, what did he do? In order that the Gentiles might do what we did this morning, glorify God for his mercy. So Paul's first example for his vision, this vision of his ambition, was the example of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he looked to the scriptures. He, he took the word of God just as it was written. He says, right here in verse 9, that as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Now this is taken from 2 Samuel 22, verse 50. And it's what David said, and later he included this in a psalm, Psalm eighteen forty-nine, verse 49. And what David was saying was that he was going to, for all the victories that God had given him, for all that God had done in his life, he was going to praise God before the nations, before the the Gentiles. He was going to let everybody know, not just the Jews, but everyone know about the faithfulness of God. And so Paul read that and understood that that was not only speaking of David, but that was speaking of the heart of God. Because he quotes again. He said, again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Here he's quoting from Psalm 67. He's saying, in Psalm 67, verse 3 and 4, it says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And so, Paul is saying, God has said all through his word, all through the Old Testament, that he wanted the Gentiles to rejoice with his people. He wanted the Gentiles to know him as well. And then he goes to Psalm 117. He says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And then he quotes from Isaiah. He said, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. He takes this from Isaiah 11. So what is Paul doing? Paul is looking at his Bible. And in looking at his Bible, he sees the program of God. He sees the plan of God. He sees the heart of God. He sees it in the example of Jesus, and he sees it in the Word of God itself. And so this is where he gets his vision for ministry. This is what drives him because as he read the scripture, he understands this is what God wants. And if this is what God wants, then this is what I want. And so that vision then directs his mission. That brings us to the mission of Christian ambition, and that brings us back to our passage beginning in verse 14. This mission is defined by God's grace In his life. He says, I myself am satisfied satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of all goodness, full of all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So how does this speak about Paul's mission, the mission of his ambition? Well, first of all, he speaks to the Roman church in verse 14. And he says to them, that he is satisfied that they have goodness, they're full of goodness, and that they are filled with all knowledge, and because of that, they're able to do something. They're able to instruct one another. Now, most of you don't know, but originally, Pastor Al was planning, he was supposed to preach this morning, and several of us think, man, he missed out, because this is the biblical counseling verse. This speaks to the beginning of what, we, what our modern-day understanding of biblical counseling is. What he's saying is that the Roman church, because of their solid faith in Christ, because they're filled with goodness and they're filled with knowledge, that they are able to instruct or counsel one another. The word there is nuthateo in the Greek. And if any of you are familiar with biblical counseling at all, kind of the Father of modern biblical counseling, a man named Jay Adams, wrote a book back in 1970, and it has to do with what he called neuthetic counseling. He took it from this Greek word. And what Jay Adams really woke people up to is the fact that Scripture is sufficient, the sufficiency of Scripture to counsel people. And that scripture is superior with which to counsel people. You know, oftentimes people will have difficulties in their life and they'll think, well, I need to go see a professional. Well, sometimes a professional may be great, may help you in a lot of ways. But as a Christian, folks, our first counsel has to come from the Word of God. And so biblical counseling here at West Park and biblical counseling, uh, any biblical counseling associated with ACBC, uh, any church like that, is to be based on the Scripture. The Scripture is sufficient. And our counseling is coming from the Scripture. And the title of that book that Jay Adams wrote in 1970 was Competent to Counsel. You know why he said we were competent to counsel? Because of what Paul told the Romans right here. He said, you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. Folks, we need to help each other encourage each other. It doesn't have to be a formal counseling session. Sometimes a brother or sister just needs to put their arm around the other and just encourage them in the word of God. And that is what Paul's talking about. That's what we do in biblical counseling. So he is telling the church, the Roman church, that their mission includes instructing one another. Our mission includes instructing one another. How do we know that? It's directed by the Word of God. See, we get that from the Word of God. But Paul's specific mission himself also depended upon what he calls the grace that was given to him. This grace that was given to him is the grace of being called an apostle to the Gentiles. That was his ministry. That was his Uh, His calling, he said, verse 15, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. It's because of how God called him and how God gifted him that he knew what God wanted him to do. God called him to reach the Gentiles. He was empowered with this vision from the example of Christ and the word of God itself. And then he knew how God had gifted him. And God had graced him. And so he used that to speak to the Gentiles. And this ministry enabled him to achieve great goals. Look down again here in verse 17. He said, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Unless you think Paul is bragging. Look at the next verse. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So Paul understood that everything he'd been able to accomplish was only because of the work of Christ in him. The mission was not something he did in his own strength. The mission was something that Christ did through him. Christ was the one who did the signs and wonders. Christ is the one who sent the Spirit of God. Christ is the one who empowered him to do all that he did. And it was so successful that he says this, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I want you to think about what Paul is saying. Some have taken this to, to, to take the, uh, the, the name full gospel from this, as if the gospel that we preach is not full. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I have saturated the world between Jerusalem all the way up to Illyricum with the gospel. Therefore, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In other words, I have filled this area with the gospel of Christ. That's an amazing feat. It would be amazing now. It was tremendously unbelievable that he was able to accomplish that then without the modern day technology that we have. But how was he able to do it? Not because of him, but because of Christ in him. He had this vision. And because of the vision, he knew what his calling was. And he carried that calling out and practiced it for God's glory. But it was Jesus working through him, just like today, folks. It was Christ accomplishing the work. And that is why, verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Why? Because it is written, Those who have never been told of Him will see and those who never heard will understand. He's taking this from Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 65. Paul was a man of the Word of God. And looking back to the Word of God, he knew that God desired for those who had not heard to hear. God wants everybody to hear. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's desire that the gospel go to every creature. Everyone. He loves us all. And so Paul was committed to that. He was committed to that because he knew what the vision was. He knew what the mission was. And he knew that that mission was empowered by Christ. That he didn't have to do it on his own. And that brings us to the goal. The goal of this Christian ambition. Look in verse 22. Here's where we get into a little bit of the travel log, but it really makes sense. I want you to, don't, don't fall asleep on me yet, okay? Pay attention. Stay with me. Verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. In the book of Acts, Luke records this in chapter 19. He says, now after these events, these were the events that took place in Ephesus, when there was a riot in Ephesus. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. That was his resolve. He was resolved to go through Macedonia, Achaia and Achaia. Go back to Jerusalem and afterwards go to Rome. This was his plan. Because he had been longing to go to Rome for a long time. But he had been hindered. Why had he been hindered? He had been busy carrying out the mission. He had been busy getting the gospel to people who had not heard. That was what he was striving to do. That's what his efforts were all about. It was all about getting the gospel to the Gentiles who had not heard. So that they could be saved. So that God could be glorified by those Gentiles. That was his goal. And because of that, he was hindered. Verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Wow, think about that. (laughs) I preach the gospel. And since my ministry is all about preaching the gospel where Christ is not named. I have nowhere else to go in that region. Why? Because... The job's been done. I mean, it's it, sure there's more teaching to do, there's more uh, instruction to happen. There's, you know, he wrote all these letters, but the gospel has been preached. I've done the job that God gave me to do because he stayed on task. He had this ambition that was scriptural, based on scripture, and empowered by God. So now he says, I can finally come see y'all. I no longer have any room. In these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you. I hope to see you as I go to Spain. We don't know if you ever made it to Spain, but that was the goal. I hope to see you as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. He had heard so many good things about this church. He longed to spend some time with them. He wanted just to enjoy their company. That's Christian love, isn't it? He cared about them. He wasn't just a church that he was sending a letter to. He cared about them. And he longed to spend time with them. And he's looking forward to that. But that doesn't mean he's retiring. He's not stopping his work. He's planning on going on. He wants to get to Spain. And they're, they're going to help him as he goes On that way. But he's got something to do first. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Now, he's writing this letter from Corinth. He's in Corinth. Corinth is in Achaia. So verse 26, he says, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. You remember, in 2 Corinthians, he writes quite a bit about this offering. He was encouraging the Corinthians to remember their commitment from a year before and make sure and follow up because he didn't want them to have to hustle around and gather the money when he got there. He wanted them to be putting that aside week by week, So that when he came, they would not have to gather it. It would be ready to go. And he was going to take this offering back to Jerusalem. That was the plan. And if you read his epistles and you read the book of Acts, you see this story come together. This was what he wanted to do. And here's why. Verse 27. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. The Gentile churches owe it to the Jews, the Jewish believers. They owe it to them. uh, Excuse me, let me get back to verse 27 here. I lost my spot. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, and we have, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. Now Paul was a Jew. And as a Jew, he came and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And they have received spiritual blessings. You and I are still the recipients of those blessings. And Paul is saying since they have received spiritual blessings, these churches have desired to give a a, a physical blessing to those who are poor in Jerusalem among the saints. And so Paul was gathering that up, and he said, this is what I'm going to do next. Verse 28. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. This was his plan. Go to Jerusalem, give this offering. And once I give that offering, everything's done at Jerusalem, I'm coming to see you guys. And then I want you to tell me, help me to go on to Spain. This was Paul's plan, okay? But he knew it was a problem. He knew there were some potential issues. So he asked for prayer. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, And by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem will be acceptable to the saints. So that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now... For those of you who don't know the rest of the story, Paul has these plans, okay? And so far, everything's just fitting together great. He had this vision based on the example of Jesus, based on the Word of God. Time and time again, he's quoting Scripture from the Old Testament, saying the Gentiles are to praise God, the Gentiles are to hear about God, and so he, he's involved in that because of that, and he has this great mission. He's able to go to, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, saturate that area with the gospel so much so that he said, I have nowhere else to go except come to you guys. Everything seems to be going great. And now he has these future plans, and he takes that offering and he goes to Jerusalem. So when he gets to Jerusalem, he speaks to the leaders of the church and they're a little bit concerned because there are some rumors going around among the Jewish believers that Paul is preaching against the law of Moses, he's, 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 he's getting away from the traditions of the fathers and, and they're a little bit disturbed. At this time, you remember, there was still a big issue about whether or not a believer had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses and take care of all the, the diet and day issues Remember that? From the past three weeks that we've been talking about, Paul has just written this in this letter. How to deal with these issues. He's written it in this letter before he went to Jerusalem. So what happens when he gets to Jerusalem? Well, the leaders of the church advise him to do something to kind of calm down the Jewish believers who are zealous about the law. There are some men who have taken a vow and they want Paul to enter into that vow with them and pay their vow fees. And then by doing that, hopefully everybody will be happy. Everybody will see that Paul's still a Jew. He's still doing the things that Jews do, although he's a believer and he's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He's not abandoned his Jewish heritage, and so everybody will be calmed down a little bit. So he goes through that while he's at the temple. Some Jews see him, who are probably not believers, and they get upset. And they say, that's the guy. That's the guy that's going everywhere, teaching against the law of Moses, teaching against the traditions. And a riot starts. And everybody's involved in this riot, and there's so much a ruckus that going on. Nobody knows what's going on. And, and the officials come, and they arrest Paul just because they don't know what else to do with him. And they keep him in custody. And one thing leads to another. and He's imprisoned. and he goes through a series of trials and eventually has to appeal to Caesar. He gets an all-expense-paid trip from the Roman government (laughs) to Rome. This story is told beginning in chapter 21 through the end of the book. He got to Rome. Not the way he planned But there's a very key phrase in these last few verses that I don't want you to miss. He said in verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. See, Paul was praying that he would be that this offering would be acceptable to the Jewish believers and that he would be spared from unbelievers, be delivered from unbelievers. Well, he wasn't killed, but he did end up getting put in prison. So he was spared, but maybe not the way he had hoped. Now, I don't know about you, but I take a great comfort in the fact that the Apostle Paul didn't always know everything that was going to happen. He was just like us. And he asked a prayer request that wasn't answered in the way that he intended. But he said, by God's will, I may come to you. Acts chapter 28, a few verses I'd like to read to you from there. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. It says, when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So he was kind of under house arrest. He's still in custody, but he has some freedoms. People can come and go. So, down in verse 30 of the same chapter, it says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Paul had a pity party when things didn't go his way in Jerusalem? I don't think so. I'm sure he had some tough times. But he understood that ultimately, ultimately, the most important thing was the will and the glory of God. He continued to serve the Lord. We know from history he was released and arrested again, eventually beheaded. But folks... This encourages me, and I hope it encourages you. Sometimes we have a Christian ambition. We think, I think the Lord wants me to do this. Everything doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to. If you just think about a few years ago, the pandemic, that kind of interrupted our plans, didn't it? It was a little weird. Pastor Sam had to stand up here and preach to empty chairs. And then later on, we had to put fewer chairs in here. We had an overflow. That was just because we were trying to be careful about exposing people to COVID-19. So we tried to have not too many people in this room, and we put people in the hub. And guess what God did with that? He started growing the hub. And now we have two simultaneous services. Reaching people that we probably never would have had the opportunity to reach before. Now we could have gotten all upset and pitched a little fit about COVID. And and all the rules that we were trying to keep and trying to be considerate of each other. And we we could get mad at each other about how it was handled. We could do all kinds of things. But look at what God did. Look at what God is doing. I told you in 1995, my wife and I set off to raise support to go into church planting. A friend of mine had given me a pamphlet and I don't know where he got the pamphlet, but it was about the state of Vermont and that there was a need for churches to be planted in the state of Vermont. So we began to make plans and pray about going there, and on March the 1st of, I believe it was 1995, I pulled out of my driveway with my wife and four children to drive 1,000 miles to Vermont. I had $300 in my pocket. I was gone for 10 days. I went to Vermont, New York, up into Quebec, preached at a couple churches in Quebec and Montreal, came back. While we were up there, we were uh, contacted by a pastor who was 76 years old in Burlington, Vermont, which is where I believed the Lord wanted us to go. And I, I took that from Acts chapter 16, where Paul went into Philippi because it was the chief city of the region. And Burlington is not the capital of Vermont, but it's the largest city in Vermont. There are five universities, there are five colleges there. And so that's where I believe the Lord wanted us. This guy calls me from Burlington. He said, I found out this week I have cancer, and I need somebody to take this work over. I went and preached. The church loved us. We loved them. We thought, this is it. We come back home. I pulled in my driveway with $300 in my wallet when I got back home 10 days later. Drove 3,000 miles. God provided for everything, He, he took care of us the whole way. Then we start trying to raise support. Well, in the mid 90s, there weren't a whole lot of uh, independent Baptist churches that wanted to, do, wanted to support home missions. We give our money to foreign missions, but we'll let you come preach. So they heard about Illyricum in Jerusalem a lot. But our support really didn't go anywhere. We were trying to sell our house. It wouldn't sell. At the same time, I had a dear friends who went to Belarus. They put their house up for sale. It sold like that, and they went to Belarus. Where am I? You know. And then Brother Caruth, the pastor there in Burlington, called me one day. And I had an appointment set to go to a church in Kentucky that next Sunday. He called me that Saturday. And he said, Brother, he said, I know you want to come and we want you to come, but I think the Lord's got a different plan. He told me about this other man that could come right away. And he said, My health's getting worse and I can't wait any longer. I don't get depressed easily, but I got depressed. So I called the brother in Kentucky and he said, I want you to come anyway. He said, I want you to go to a pastor's meeting with me. So I went. We went to a pastor's meeting in Ohio and just really encouraging time and this older pastor just pouring into me, just meant the world to me. Came back home. He said, take that yard sale out of your yard. Well, I came back home disappointed still, struggling, a pastor friend of mine called me from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee and he said, hey you know we want to plant churches in Tennessee, don't you? He said, how about Cookville? So in 1997 we moved to Cookville when we started a church. We saw a lot of folks come to Christ. Did a lot of weddings because we would usually lead somebody to Christ that was living together and then we'd do their wedding <laughs> God gave me two of my, 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 my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law there and beautiful grandchildren from those families. I could see the sovereign hand of God on that. Everything didn't go the way I planned there either. But I learned something. I learned, make plans. Make those plans based on the Word of God. Pray. But ultimately realize God God's in charge. God's going to accomplish His purposes. And if you're willing, He will use you. He will use you. Don't let the devil discourage you when things don't go your way. Have some Christian ambition. Ultimately, our ambition is to glorify our Savior. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank You that You are a sovereign God, that You care for us more than we can even imagine, that You have a plan and You're going to accomplish Your plan. Lord, help us to be willing to serve You, to participate (coughs) with You in that plan. And to hold all things loosely except for You. Obedience to You. Submission to Your will and Your plan. Father, thank You. Thank You for how You work in our lives in unexpected ways. Thank You for how You sovereignly Work to bring glory to your name. Lord, help us. Help us to follow you. (coughs) In Jesus' name. Amen.